Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. What a list in that last hymn that we should be praying that we might be able to imitate Christ in. <clears throat> to be like the blessed Redeemer. Galatians chapter 6. Beginning in verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Beginning in verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. For though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth, profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, unseemly. seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. For when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we make no apologies for long prayers. We make no apologies for singing many hymns and psalms. And we certainly make no apologies for reading much scripture. Father, we pray that, Lord, you'd guide us and direct our hearts this morning into the divine subject, which I believe you have led us to this morning as a small church. 
Lord, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified and that, Lord, you'd reveal yourself. And we pray that the Spirit would be our guide and our teacher. For, Lord, the things of which we're speaking of this morning are the fruits of the Spirit, not of the flesh. They can't be learned or memorized. Lord, they can't be taught by men, but only by the Holy Spirit of God. We pray, therefore, that you would guide us and direct us in all of these things. And may you be honored and glorified. And most of all, Father, may you be honored and glorified, not only exalting your Son, but, Lord, binding our hearts as your children even closer together with a greater love and patience and kindness and long-suffering and understanding and especially charity, which never faileth. Father, we love you and we thank you for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now turn to Galatians chapter 2, which is our text. In the light of Galatians 6, 1 Corinthians 13, let us read Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 to 14. Bear with me this morning. Then 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem under Barnabas, and took Titus, or with Barnabas, and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Excuse me. And that because of false brethren, unawares, brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seemed to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person. For they who seemed to be somewhat in conference, added nothing to me. But counterwise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same all same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which also I was forward to do. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision, And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Beloved, our subject this morning is one which I must humbly confess eluded me for many years as a young believer, mostly because of my own negligence 
in not studying more closely the scriptures, but also, sadly, because of the wrongful, even sinful influences of others whose conduct, instead of provoking unto love and good works, was one of dissimulation and hypocrisy. Not that I seek to blame or place fault of my own wrongful, even sinful doing upon others. For as we read in Galatians 6, every man shall bear his own burden, and whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Yet to deny as true believers that we have a mutual responsibility and accountability to provoke one another to love and good works. And by love we are commanded to serve one another. And that, Paul says, in lowliness of mind, esteeming each other better than ourselves, looking not to our own things, but also to the things of others, is to deny Scripture and prove only that we ourselves be somewhat of hypocrites. For in bearing one another's burdens, as we read in Galatians, Paul says we fulfill the law of Christ. We fulfill the law of Christ. There is a law of which Paul speaks, which is governed, it's of Christ, which is governed by love. This humble sense of being responsible and accountable to others' needs, spiritual well-being, even faults and failures, is greatly lacking, I believe, in this present generation where divisions and schisms are in abundance amongst true believers. And I pray that God would help us this morning see by Paul's example how to deal with other people who of, are maybe not of the same persuasion or not of the same spiritual understanding or even those who fall into fault. That we as Christians would be able to conduct ourselves in a manner which is glorifying to Christ. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart, Paul says. Charity out of a pure heart. And a good conscience. And a faith unfeigned. Oh, that we might experience that divine truth in our own hearts and lives when we're dealing with others' problems or faults or failures or needs. And I, this morning, want to begin by looking at the example of the Apostle Paul in his conduct and actions towards others who were of different persuasion or spiritual understanding, and even those who fell into fault, even sinfully. And we find three different occasions in this second chapter of Galatians where Paul deals with people that were at differences with himself, or spiritually not as enlightened as he was. And I want to look at all three of those this morning, looking at only the first, because of the weight of it. 
First of all, I want us to examine Paul's conduct in regards to weaker believers. Look in verses 1 and 2. Then 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation, God's revelation, and communed unto them that gospel which I preach unto the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Privately unto those who are of a reputation. In other words, those who seem to be pillars in the church. Why? And I don't want to get ahead of myself, because Paul's presenting something to them that the Jewish believers had trouble understanding, that the gospel was now to be preached to the Gentiles. They still had trouble with that in the book of Galatians. They didn't understand that. And Paul says, I'm going to go up there by revelation of God, and I'm going to speak privately at first to those of reputation, because, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain, I don't want to hinder the gospel. And I want and desire that others who are still confused might understand this wonderful revelation. So he's taken in regards to weaker believers. Second of all, and this will be next week, in regards to false brethren. Look at verse 3. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seemed to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person, for they were they who seemed to be something in conference added nothing to me. So you see how he responds to false brethren. He didn't uh, compromise the truth. Okay? And thirdly, in regards to erring brethren. Verses 11 to 14. But when Peter was come to Antioch, earlier he said he was a pillar in the church. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. He's fault. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter, Before them all, if thou being a Jew livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Now Paul rebukes Peter because he was to blame. Blame for what? For his conduct which influenced others. It says, insomuch that Barnabas, why Barnabas? We'll get into that in a few weeks, but Barnabas, his, that means a son of consolation. Barnabas had wonderful virtues and love and compassion. And he was so influenced by Peter's action that he was dissimulated, or he dissimulated, or was, hypocrite, uh, was a hypocrite, doing something in the state of a, or the mind of a hypocrite like is Peter, because Peter falsely influenced him. So you see, we can influence others to do wrong. 
as believers. So, see, we do have an effect on one another. And I've lived the Christian life long enough, and I, again, like I said in the beginning, I blame no man because we all bear our own burdens, but I have to sadly admit, and probably some of you this morning, when I was a younger Christian, I was influenced by the bad behavior and conduct of others. We do have a accountability towards one another as Christians on how we behave ourselves and how we conduct ourselves. And so I want to look at Paul, how he conducts himself with these three distinct situations in one chapter. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit put all those in one chapter. But first in this morning, and I'll just spend some time with this one because of its importance, I want us to notice Paul's conduct towards the weaker brethren. And this is very important for us, especially as a church. In these latter days, our Lord himself declared that because sin shall wax greater, or sin shall increase, the love of many shall wax cold. Now, he's not referring to the love of sinners. They don't know how to love, as Christians do. I believe he's referring to God's people. And we must, in these perilous times as God's people, be careful to maintain a good, solid Christian character and conduct towards one another, especially brethren and sisters that are weaker in the faith. I believe this is a virtue that has been lost amongst many Christians. And we need to be reminded of the importance of that. We are accountable to one another. We might say that or think that, well, yeah, I understand that. But my question is, do we actually practice that? Verses 1 and 2. Then 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation. Now listen to his words. By revelation and communed unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Now listen, Paul declared and confesses that his going up to Jerusalem again was by revelation of God. Not his own decision, but by revelation. That's important. And I want to show you why. And he went up by revelation to God, he says, to communicate unto them that gospel which he preached among the Gentiles. This was yet new and even confusing to many of the Jewish believers. Yet though Paul declared that his coming again to Jerusalem to communicate such a message was a divine revelation, yet notice his conduct. He humbly considers the weaker brethren who might yet be unable to bear this report. Now, why is that important? Because a lot of Christians, because they are convinced that what they understand or their conviction is of God, they boldly, in some sort of arrogance, believe that they can just say anything they want to to anybody because it's of God. Paul said, no, I came up by revelation. This is of God. God told me to. But Paul conducts himself with great wisdom and meekness. He says, but I'm going to communicate this first to those who can bear what I'm fixing to say. I've noticed in my own life, but also in the life of other Christians, sometimes when we hold a conviction over certain things, I'm not talking about compromising, but hold a certain conviction we might have, and somebody else might be of a different persuasion of it, because we truly, to be it of God, we believe we have the right to boldly, arrogantly, just profess it and speak it out loud and without using wisdom or meekness or grace. 
I myself have been uh, the victim of those who say, I believe that what I'm telling you is of God. Well, it might be. You might truly believe that it's from God, and I respect that, but the manner in which you're telling me that is not in a spirit of meekness and wisdom seeking my restoration or my comfort or my well-being only to prove yourself to be right. And that's why it's important for us to understand. Paul says, I went up by revelation. And again, most people that believe that what they're convinced of or convicted of is of God, that they, it doesn't matter what other people think. It doesn't matter how I tell you that. It doesn't matter how I present that or communicate that. It's of God. And I myself have been guilty of this as well as others. Pointing the fingers at others, but saying this is sometimes a great error and sinful behavior of Christians. Simply because we believe with all our hearts that what we're communicating or what we believe in or what we're convicted of, our convictions are of God, doesn't mean that we have the right to boldly roll over everybody. Paul knew this was by revelation of God. It's the one that sent him up there. But Paul uses much grace and wisdom so that he might not offend or cause other Christians to stumble. You know, beloved, this is the spirit of humility and meekness that is very rare in this day and age of individualism amongst Christians. I'm telling you, the COVID thing didn't help, but we can't blame it all on COVID. But a lot of Christians today are so individualist that they don't believe they need everybody. They don't believe they need a church. They don't believe they need fellowship. And so what happens, whether you believe that or not, you can be as sincere as you want. And I can understand some people's problems with that when they live in an area where they don't feel there's a church that preaches you know, entirely what they believe to be true. I can understand the temptation. But you need to be careful of that because isolation amongst Christians will always lead to prideful arrogance. Do you know that? You will become your own spiritual leader. That's not how God intended Christianity to be lived. That's why he gave us a church, appointed pastors and teachers and preachers. That's the reason we have elders in the church. And you can be sincere as you want to, but if you isolate yourself from God's people and God's ordained plan for his people, how to instruct them and how that they might grow in grace and knowledge, it will eventually lead to prideful arrogance. You will feel as though you were your own spiritual teacher and you will put yourself subconsciously above anybody else. And what you believe is the highest authority. Now, think about who's saying these words as well. This is not anybody. This is Paul. This is Apostle Paul. Yeah. I mean, good, he wasn't with the original 12, but I mean, look at his conversion. Look at his calling. What God, what God gave Paul for enlightenment. I mean, it's, it's, sometimes it's hard for me to believe that Paul could have stayed so humble and, and meek because he was given a lot, but Paul did say, I was given a thorn in the flesh. Even Paul says, I even got a problem with pride, so God helped me with that and put a thorn in my flesh. But this is the great apostle Paul, who received a special revelation from Christ, who knew that Christ, by special revelation, was sending him to the Gentiles. What a great responsibility. 
Paul didn't strut around like, hey, I'm the high apostle, and I'm coming with a revelation. I'm just going to tell you all. I'm going to. No, Paul said, no, this is of God. God, revelation by God. What I'm fixing to communicate is something wonderful, glorious of itself. It's the preaching of the gospel going to the Gentiles. But there are still some weaker brethren who are not ready to receive this. So I'm going to be very cautious in communicating this to those who are first of reputation. Oh, that we might follow the Apostle Paul's example. But privately, to them which were a reputation, those who were honored and respected in the church, pillars in the house of God. In other words, John, Cephas, or Peter, and, and James says that in verse 9. Beloved, it's very significant and proves how gracious and considerate Paul was concerning the weaker brethren. He wasn't just concerned that this was a revelation of God and it's something God convicted him of, and it was true. He was conscious and considerate about those who would not be able to bear this. Paul wanted to take the weaker believer into consideration. He humbly and lovingly takes into consideration the weaker brethren who might yet stumble or be confused by his report. Now, I remind you, this was a great difference throughout the Old Testament. The whole Old Testament, he was always the God of the Jews, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This was something not just minor, this was a huge Huge thing. Even Christ, when he walked amongst men, told the woman asking for bread from the table, said, I've not come but to the house of Israel. So Israel had known for hundreds, thousands of years, he's the God of the Israelites, the God of the Jew. Now Paul's fixing to say, no, he's the God also of the Gentiles. The gospel which you received that saved your soul is now going to the Gentiles, the heathens. Paul said, I want to be cautious with this. I want to be careful with this. Oh, you don't have to be, Paul. It's a revelation of God. Paul said, no, I still, I'm still considerate and I'm aware of the weaker brethren. Let me go to Romans chapter 14. I, I love these passages of Scripture. Romans chapter 14. Look at verse 1. And I'm going to do something out of the ordinary. I'm going to read the entire chapter. Now, again, I apologize not for reading so much scripture, but I want you to get the gist of what Paul's saying. Romans chapter 14, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Why do you want to do that? For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? Well, there's a sermon in that one. To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Listen to this. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks, and he that eateth not to the Lord he eateth not and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. You see that? For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, 
we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. You see where he's leading with this? Let us not therefore judge one another any more. But judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Man, there's a lot there, isn't there? I know and I am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroyeth not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is the evil uh, for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Now follow in the next two verses in chapter 15. We then, because of all that, verse 13, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor, for his good to edification. My, these words should be written over the doorpost of every Christian home. Some, like I said, believing their convictions be truly of God, think it matters not what others think, nor if they approve of their convictions. If it be of God, it doesn't matter what others think. But, beloved, such a spirit is contrary to the law of Christ, which is to bear one another's burdens. And Paul, in Galatians, in Corinthians, even in Romans 14 and 15, proves the fallacy of that, the error of that. Why would you want to do anything that causes your brother to fall or stumble? Even though you know what you're doing or you know your conviction's right, it's not unbiblical, don't allow your brother or sister to stumble or fall because you believe it to be something else. Have faith in yourself. Now again, as we'll see in the other two situations Paul faces with other people, Paul's not saying condone everything, just let everything go. Paul's not saying that. Even on our text, as we'll see in a few minutes in closing, Paul's not saying, well, it doesn't matter, I'm just, I'm going to keep... He's not talking about compromising. He's talking about Christian charity, something which is very lacking amongst Christians today. I know Christians today that to this very moment, will not speak to one another, let alone walk on the same side of the street because of differences. And I cannot for the life of me understand where they see that as scriptural. As we'll see, even rebuking Peter. Peter accepted that. We hear, not Peter, which was walking with Christ. Peter didn't say, wait a minute, Paul. I walked with Christ. Who are you to tell me? You didn't walk with Christ. You were 
some special revelation. I'm a pillar of the church. You don't hear any word from Peter. Even in Paul's rebuking of Peter and the others, it was in love and charity. So Paul's not condoning sinful errors. Paul's not compromising anything. Paul's simply saying, by this revelation, this communication, which was given by revelation unto the elders at the church, Paul says, I'm going to be careful. I'm going to do it privately because <clears throat> there are some that's not willing or ready to bear this shit. Amen? Even Christ himself in the gospel told the disciples, I have many things yet to tell unto you these cannot bear. <clears throat> so a wise older Christian will take all of that into consideration when he's dealing with his convictions and other people possibly not seeing that or understanding that. Because you see, the goal of it is, is it not, is that people would come to understand our convictions and see them and love them and admire them as much as we do. Is that not the, is that not the goal or is it just simply to prove ourselves to be right? You know, one of the things that's helped me over the years with people who stand up against me and accuse me of things and stuff like that wrongly, or like Spurgeon said in every criticism, there's a truth. You know what helps me with people like that and enables me to continue praying for them? It's a simple fact. I believe in my heart they actually literally believed that what they were doing was of God. I hold that not against them. They believed that was of God. I hold that not against them. You say, well, maybe they were in the wrong. They might have been <clears throat> excuse me, in the wrong. But still, they believed it was of God. They believed they were doing what God wanted them to do. And so, therefore, it helps me to say, okay, maybe they were in the wrong. Maybe it wasn't right. Maybe they didn't do it right or say it right. That doesn't matter. They, they really, truly thought they were serving God. And that really helps me to pray for them. Christians should never hold grudges. It's a sinful thing to hold a grudge. You see, we, we often have divisions because of knowledge and faith. But, you know, faith, hope, and charity, the three that abide, I mean, faith worketh by love. Charity is what should conduct us in all of those things. So when we do have different issues or convictions, be it of faith or of knowledge, it should be love that, that guides our conversation, right? Charity. First Corinthians charity. First Corinthians 13 charity. That should be the kind of love that, that guides us in our discussions, in our communications. That's what Paul says. I came up to communicate unto them. Even Christ, remember when they went to Jerusalem, or I think it was Jerusalem, he told Peter, he said, go catch the uh, line in the water and catch a fish and pull the coin out so that we can give because we don't want to be offended. We don't want to offend anyone. Even Christ was aware of that. Yet when it came to the Pharisees and their ignorance and their sinfulness, they said, don't you know you offended them? He said, that's okay, let the blind lead the blind. As Paul does later with the false brethren. We have to have spiritual discernment in these issues, in these cases, especially when we're dealing with believers. Why is it that we can't be specifically cautious and careful and considerate when it comes to other believers and their weakness or their misunderstanding of things? Why can't we show a, a spirit of understanding? And patience. Like that of Paul. Over in 1 Corinthians, or I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 
chapter 2. Look at verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach patient. Why? In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God preadventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. What does Paul says in meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves? Now look back over in Galatians. Again, chapter 6. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of... Oh, there's that word again. Meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Isn't that amazing? Meekness in instructing. Meekness in restoring. That is the importance of being meek in instructing those that are in error and those that have fallen. Meekness. Considering yourself. Why? For if a man think himself to be something when he's nothing, deceiving. In other words, if you think, think you're better than they are, it's the same spirit of, you know, the beam and the splinter. Christ didn't say the brother didn't have a beam in his eye or a splinter in his eye, but he said, you got a beam. Remove your beam because yours should be bigger. <laughs> your faults and weaknesses should be bigger in your eyes than his splinter. And if you have that set mind, that spiritual set mind in you, then you're not going to be so aggressive. You're not going to be so uh, condemning and judgmental to your brother. You're going to say, listen, I've got more problems than you've got. Paul says in Galatians 2 again, he says, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. With these words, Paul explains to us his reasoning for doing that. And listen very carefully to what he says. For though the success of his preaching the gospel among the Gentiles was not dependent upon whether the Jewish believers in Jerusalem would accept or agree with his preaching the gospel unto them, Paul knew something that I think we miss. He took into consideration that this ministry, the preaching of the gospel to the Gentiles, if it was to be understood and accepted by them, would greatly help and advance its success. That's for one reason. If they understood that this was really of God, that's going to help this ministry. Read the book of Acts, how the churches worked together for the preaching of the gospel, how they sent out Paul and Barnabas and others to other churches, helping them to grow in faith and encouraging them. Sent out all of, he knew that he actually needed these believers in Jerusalem to understand and accept this because it would help the success of the ministry. He wanted them to be part of that. He didn't want to say, well, I'm going to go out on my own and do my own thing. He didn't do that. I'm tired of Christians going, I'm going to go out and do my own thing. Well, I'm not going to go to church anymore. I'll just do my own thing. I'll have my own church service. I'll do my own thing. That's not biblical. 
Nor is it spiritually healthy for a believer. We live in a day and age where spiritual pride is so prevalent amongst a lot of Christians. They don't respect the preachers anymore or the pastors or the elders of the church. Everybody today has their own opinion, their own understanding, and they make themselves teachers. They exalt themselves above their spiritual leaders. Be not many masters, knowing you might receive the greater condemnation, is what Paul said. And that, that's the day and age in which we live in. But look at the humility and meekness of Paul, the great Apostle Paul, coming by revelation of God to communicate something that God, Romans chapter 16, revealed to him to tell to them Paul isn't arrogant about it. He isn't trying to be boastful about it. He comes in using great wisdom and grace, but privately. Lest. <laughs> He desired that they in Jerusalem would also see and understand the glorious, that the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ was now to be preached among the Gentiles. Not only did he know and understand that with their accepting it and understanding it, it would help the success of the ministry, but more so, he wanted them to understand that the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ is now being preached to the Gentiles. What a glorious, what a wonderful thing. He wanted them to understand that. Do you know what God's doing? He's doing something that hasn't been done since the beginning of the world. He's no more simply the God of the, of the Jews, of Israel. He's the God of the world. And Christ is being preached to every creature. Do you, do you not see that? Do you not want to embrace that? I want you to embrace that. And actually, that should be the goal of all our convictions when they're contrary to others. I don't want to just prove to you that I'm right and you're wrong. I want you to understand why I love and I'm so convicted about this. I want you to see the light yourself. My desire is that you might come to understand, not simply that I'm right and you're wrong. Too often... Though they are truly convinced that their convictions are of God, many believers lack the wisdom, grace, and love in communicating those convictions to others. To the brother overwhelmed in a fault or overtaken in a fault, restore such one in the spirit of meekness. To those who oppose themselves, instruct them with meekness. Beloved, restoring and or instructing must be in meekness, not in the spirit of arrogance or pride. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Our goal in all of this thing, just like that of Paul with the weaker brethren, our goal should be that others come to see and embrace and love and enjoy the convictions we hold so dearly. You know that hymn we sung, in closing, that hymn we sung has a great list of things we want to be like Christ. Let me just go over that list in closing. Oh, to be like the blessed Redeemer, full of compassion, loving, forgiving, tender, kind, helper of the helpless, cheer of fainting ones, seeking the wonders, lowly in spirit, holy, harmless, patient, brave, meek, endurer of cruelty, willingly suffering. 
all those things are, are in that in that hymn. Amazing, and that that's what we want to be like. That's why it's so important that we, as Christians, understand how we need to conduct ourselves when we approach others that are weaker brethren or false brethren or those who even fall into fault, like Peter and the others. Because, beloved, the goal should always be restoration, reconciliation. Do you know that? should always be. You know the sin of this generation is the sin of the church at Corinth. When 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, says there's somebody that's committed incest, you need to rebuke him, you need to kick him out of the church, you need to excommunicate him, do what you need to do, you need discipline. And they do that. And the brother does what Paul was hoping. He repents and seeks reconciliation, and then the church closes the door on him. Nope, ain't going to happen. Paul said, now you're just as wrong as you did the first time. That's the sin of this generation. Other believers might sin or make a fault or an error against others, and they don't open their arms up to reconciliation or restoration. They close the door. Nope, ain't going to do that. Why not? It happened so many years ago. You know, people change. Do you know that? They change. I've tried to tell people who I've offended in the past, if it was purposely or subconsciously, I don't know, but try to seek reconciliation and when they close the door, what can I do? Why do you want to close the door? People change. They change. Do we not believe that Christians can grow in grace? So the, the same brother who made the same fall 5, 10, 15 years ago, maybe he's learned from that. Be ready to receive him back. Churches today, Christians, they don't do that. They close the door and keep it closed. They bolt it. They lock it. Let not us at Reformed Baptist Church ever hold that state of mind. But let us always be willing and ready to reconcile with a brother or sister in Christ who maybe maybe it was their fault. Paul said Peter was to blame. Peter learned from this. Even the greatest of Christians. That's why it says even Barnabas. Paul says even the son of consolation was dissimulated by this thing, was acting hip, hip, hypocritical about this thing. Even he was. That's how strong a persuasion Peter had. You can persuade believers to do right or wrong. Do you know that? Be careful of your actions. But when it comes to things like this, dearly beloved, let us always be ready and willing to restore and reconcile ourselves with believers. Again, I say it again. If we believe that Christians can grow in grace and knowledge, allow Christians to learn from their mistakes and their errors, even their sins. Allow them to learn from that and embrace them heartily when they come seeking reconciliation or restoration. Be always ready to forgive. That's the spirit every church, every Christian should have. May God give us grace to follow the example of Paul. And next week I'll try to look at the last two together false brethren, and then an erring brother. We shouldn't be silent when the brother errs. We should be ready and willing to stand up and reprove. But that in the spirit of meekness and humility, lest we ourselves be tempted. May God give us grace to follow his example. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, how it guides and directs us, Lord God, into the Christian life. Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer. We desire to be like you. Help us, dear God, we pray, to learn from the example of the Apostle Paul, who even himself fell into error when he 
rejected John, didn't want him to go in the ministry, yet later on, and him and Barnabas argued about it, yet later on, Paul in prison says, and bring John. Bring John, for he's profitable. Lord, help us to realize that people change. People make mistakes. We make mistakes. Let us not hold grudges. But Lord, let us always pray and be ready to accept and embrace reconciliation. For Lord, that's really to be a Christian. We love you and we thank you for all things. We ask these things now in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.